I dreamed of traveling the long road, singing my songs to that distant stranger. Yes, I know it's sad for you, but it's something I got to do. And I will be coming home, back to the mountains, back to being free from all there is to be. Coming home to live and the life I once knew. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Bedtime Bible Boys with Brock, Trey, and Theron TJ. Thanks Thanks for for listening. We love you, Mom. And you too, Gail. Fun Bible fact of the night, trivia time. How many dreams are recorded in the Bible? I'm going to say about like 300. Think more like, not single did, double digits. Oh, 26? 26, very close. Trey? 27? 21. There are 21 dreams recorded in the Bible. A majority of these happen in the Old Testament. There are six in the New Testament, all in the book of Matthew. I know two of them, of the ones. Let's hear them. In the New Testament, it's one is Mary and the other one is Joseph. That's right. That's correct. Very good. Trey, do you know a couple that are in the Old Testament? A couple of dreams? So I know Pharaoh's dream. I know there's... Joseph's two dreams. Dreams. Two prisoners. Um, The wine bearer. You're right, the cup bearer, yeah. And the person that would die. That's right. So Joseph was probably the most active as far as the dreams are concerned in the Bibles, right? Because Joseph had his dreams. He told the most dreams. That's right. And his his dreams were about what, Trey? Um... His brothers bowing down. That's right. Which actually happened to him when he was the overseer of the food for Egypt, right? Mm-hmm. And Brock, sorry, what were the prisoners' dreams that Joseph interpreted about? So the wine bearer would, so the um, wine bearer prisoner would become free and be the king's wine bearer in three days, and then the one that would die um, had the dream of in three days he would die that's right that is correct and then pharaoh's dreams of course seven good years and seven bad years that's right of harvest that's correct that is absolutely correct what's fun is we get ready to move into the book of daniel is that there are three dreams in the book of daniel it's going to be fun to go through them Nebuchadnezzar's statue, Nebuchadnezzar's tree, and Daniel's four beasts. You guys know a little bit about Daniel. What's one of the stories you know about Daniel? Daniel in the lion's den. That's right. That's right. What happened in Daniel in the lion's den? Daniel prayed to God, which basically to the kingdom at that time was against the law. Mm Mm-hmm the two people that helped made the law 
were spying on him and got him in trouble for that. That's right. And he got thrown into the lion's den. That's right. Because the clean, the, they gave the king the idea to make a declaration that only he should be worshipped. Because they knew that would entrap uh, Daniel. Because Daniel was going to worship his god, the real god. And that'll happen because they were jealous of him. That's right. They were jealous of his success. I know the statue one. But there's a little trivia, a little fun Bible fact on dreams tonight. 21 dreams recorded in the Bible. Six in the New Testament, 15 in the Old. A majority, 10 of them in Genesis. And a majority of them, Joseph's interpretation or Joseph was involved in them. And Daniel is going to have three dreams that we're going to get a chance to look into as well. I know that the Lord's spoken to me through dreams before. I totally believe that he can be active in speaking to you through dreams. And this is, I don't just make this up, right? This is actually scriptural. And And when you look through scriptures, you see that the Lord spoke to people in visions and in dreams. So it is a biblical thing. I don't believe that every account of it happening is written in the Bible. I believe it happens much more frequently than that. I think the hard part for us is that we're in the flesh and we're in the spirit. So when you have a dream, is it a flesh dream or is it a spirit dream? Sometimes that can be hard to decipher, right? The more you live in the spirit though, the more you live in his light, the stronger and more intimate relationship you have with him, you start to be able to discern the difference. Does that make sense? Also, dreams from the Lord shouldn't fill you with hopelessness. Doesn't mean that you won't have obstacles, and it doesn't mean that sometimes they're not hard or difficult, but that you shouldn't feel hopeless. We're under Christ. We have every reason to be hopeful. Even when things are hard, we can be hopeful. Lord said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart for I have overcome the world. So we can always have hope in Jesus Christ. Make sense? All right. Dreams, dreams. Here we go. Closing out 2 Kings chapter 25. Now Zedekiah rebelled against the king of Babylon. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army, He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled toward the Arabah, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. So they're trying to escape, right? While the Babylonians are taken over, they get through, they get out of Jerusalem, but King Nebuchadnezzar catches up with the king who rebelled against him who's trying to escape. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes 
and they blinded him, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. That's tough. On the seventh day of the ninth of the fifth month in the nineteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard, an official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army, under the commander of the imperial guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had gone over to the king of Babylon. But the commander left behind some of the poorest people of the land to work the vineyards and the fields. The Babylonians broke up the bronze pillars, the movable stands, and the bronze sea that were at the temple of the Lord, and they carried the bronze to Babylon. They also took away the pots, shovels, wick trimmers, dishes, and all the bronze articles used in the temple service. Verse 15. The commander of the imperial guard took away the censers and sparks and sprinkling bowls, all that were made of pure gold or silver. The bronze from the two pillars, the sea, and the movable stands, which Solomon had made for the temple of the Lord, was more than could be weighed. Each pillar was 27 feet high. The bronze capital on top of one pillar was four and a half feet high and was decorated with a network and pomegranates of bronze all around. The other pillar with its network was similar. The commander of the guard took his prisoners, Sariah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the priests next in rank, and the three doorkeepers. Of those still in the city, he took the officer in charge of the fighting men and five royal advisors. He also took the secretary, who was chief officer in charge of conscripting the people of the land, and sixty of his men who were found in the city. Nebuzaradan, the commander, took them all and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. There, at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, the king had them executed. So Judah went into captivity, away from her land. Verse 22. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, appointed Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, to be over the people he had left behind in Judah. When all the army officers and their men heard that the king of Babylon had appointed Gedaliah as governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, Johanan, son of Kariah, Sariah, son of Tanhumath, the Nidophathite, Jaazaniah, the son of the Maakathite, and their men. Gedaliah took an oath to reassure them and their men. Do not be afraid of the Babylonian officials, he said. Settle down in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it will go well with you. In the seventh month, however, Ishmael, son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, who was of royal blood, came with ten men and assassinated Gedaliah and also the men of Judah and the Babylonians who were with him at Mizpah. At this, all the people, from the least to the greatest, together with the army officers, fled to Egypt for fear of the Babylonians. In the thirty-seventh year of the exile of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the year 
evil Merodach became king of Babylon. He released Jehoiachin from prison on the 27th day of the 12th month. He spoke kindly to him and gave him a seat of honor higher than those of the other kings who were with him in Babylon. So Jehoiachin put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. Day by day, the king gave Jehoiachin a regular allowance as long as he lived. So they kind of skipped through a lot right there because the people were taken off and and then they t- they go through a ton of years and then say Jehoiachin became this, but actually a lot of years have passed between those two points. They're just wrapping up the stories of the kings that they've talked about. So here's a little footnote. Evil Maradach, the son of Nebuchadnezzar, became king of the Babylonian Empire in 562 BC, 562 years before Christ, 24 years after the beginning of the general captivity, and 37 years after Jehoiachin was removed from Jerusalem. So when Nebuchadnezzar was taking over Zedekiah, that was 24 years earlier, and then this verse here about Jehoiachin at the end, fast forward 24 years and now all of a sudden we're there. Does that make sense? The new king treated Jehoiachin with kindness, even allowing him to eat at his table. Evil Maradoch was later killed in a plot by his brother-in-law, Nergal Sherasur, who succeeded him to the throne. The book of 2 Kings opens with Elijah being carried to heaven. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. And Elijah was carried to heaven in, in like a... With, the fiery chariots. Yeah, that's right. And he gave way to Elisha. The destination awaiting those who followed God is heaven. But the book ends with the people of Judah being carried off to a foreign land as humiliated slaves, the result of failing to follow God. Second Kings is an illustration of what happens when we make anything more important than God. When we make ruinous alliances, when our consciences become desensitized to right and wrong, and when we are no longer able to discern God's purpose for our lives. We may fail, like the people of Judah and Israel, but God's promises do not. He is always there to help us straighten out our lives and start over. And that is just what would happen in the book of Ezra. When the people acknowledge their sins, God was ready and willing to help them return to their land and start again. And that's just by pure grace or pure mercy because the law doesn't really afford that, right? So that is the end of 2 Kings. Generally, we'd be moving along to the Chronicles, but it's the Chronicles of the Kings. So what we're going to do, like we've talked about, is go into Daniel and read that about their time in captivity. We're going to talk about those 24 years we kind of just skipped over. And we're going to come back and read the Chronicles and that's going to kind of round out the time of the kings and when they got taken off into exile. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Any final comments? Nope. All right. Well, good. I'm excited to leave for vacation tomorrow. We pray for safe roads and that uh, the Lord's angels would go before us and that the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, we plead it over our the roads we travel and over the car we'll be in. And we just want to have a good time. We thank him for the ability to do that. And we look forward to continuing our work and sharing the gospel when we come back.
I love you boys. Love you too. You guys are good kids. <laughs>